0: The Telegraph. Podcasts.
1: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome back to Telegraph Audio Football Club. We are back and not coincidentally, so is football. The Premier League will return to our lives on Wednesday, the 17th of June. How did we get here? How did we leave it? And is the football actually going to be any good? We'll attempt to answer all of those questions, plus reawaken the ghosts of debates past, like is Jose Mourinho ruined at Tottenham? Will Paul Pogba realise his potential at Manchester United? And can Sheffield United gatecrash European football? Plus, we'll cover when fans might be allowed back into stadiums, the first ever free-to-air Premier League TV game, and what's going on in Europe. let's take you now into a series of remote audio recording facilities where i'm joined as per usual by returning hero mina razuki how are you mina
2: hello i'm good i didn't think you were going to start with me so i feel very honored now
1: oh well congratulations you've made it have you had a good few weeks since we last spoke
2: yeah it's been okay it's been nice it's been sunny so i've been going out i'm no longer just sitting at home like i was before when you were chatting to me
3: that's true.
1: Mr. Sunshine, Matt Law is
3: next on the lineup. What's going on with you, Matt? I am Mr. Sunshine, actually. I'm sat here with the sun coming in at me. It's been uh, been good weather. Yeah, good, good. When did we last do this? I'm trying to think. Three, four weeks ago?
4: Six weeks ago, something
3: like Six that. Six weeks, wow. That's
1: a Just guess. Not like
3: a long oh, time. That's a
1: guess. JJ Ball, you love a stat. Can you tell us how long it's been?
4: I love a stat. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, but, you- but I am I am great. Thanks for asking, and I hope you're well too. I hope everyone is well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's getting there, isn't it? It's getting there. Football's back. It's exciting. It's been a very odd few months. It's clearly still a very strange time. The virus is still out there, seemingly more so in uh, the UK than in other countries. Are you surprised we're about to resume Premier League football?
3: If you'd have asked me this question four weeks ago probably around the time when we stopped or just after i'd have still been surprised that we we would we would get to this stage where we could come back and all the players seemingly now are are happy to come back um i really thought i really thought the season was in big trouble at one stage and that they were going to have to find some sort of curtailment plan um particularly with a lot of players a few weeks ago saying that they they were very uncertain about coming back but um in fairness, the Premier League and the PFA and everybody else and all the, the scientists around it have, have managed to do enough to, to quell those fears around the players. And I think ever since the contact training came back, which was now about two and a half weeks ago, something like that, I think at that point it became very real that it was definitely going to restart.
2: I think that when you consider the financial aspect and how much money they would have lost, I, it was always almost impossible for me to think any of these uh, countries such as uh, England, obviously Italy or Spain would not restart their football leagues. They were always going to try to find a way to appease everyone and just get this back on again.
1: Do you feel like that was the only option really, JJ, that we had to get this season completed in one way or the other?
4: Probably. There's, there's too much money at stake and money controls everything, doesn't it? So, <laughs> I mean, in Scotland, they were able to... I mean, it's still ongoing actually the problems in scotland you've got hearts and strunar and partick are all not very happy about being relegated and uh trying to sort that out but the season has ended in england the money is like you can't just say oh you're relegated now because it's hundreds of millions and uh yeah it, I, I can't see any other way any other way than it having been where we are now that it's come back
3: the interesting thing is is that we are coming back without a curtailment plan so were the season to have to stop, we don't actually know what's happening. Nothing's been agreed on that. The Premier League favour a points per game, but that's not been voted in, which it has to be in the Premier League. So they've had to stall that because they couldn't get any kind of agreement. So if, if we were to have to stop halfway through now, they would have to go all the way through what, what actually happened. We, I find that quite surprising that we don't actually know what will happen if the football season can't finish still yes it feels like there's certainly a lot
1: of unanswered
3: questions and
1: the possibility that when the season ends we're going to get into a period of litigation and lawsuits and complaints about how it's all been handled do we know when the next season is going to start at the moment
2: it looks like it's going to be the second week of september from what i understand um which is a little bit strange because i was looking at serian they're starting on the first but they don't end until the second of august which i believe is later than the premier league So second week of September, they'll have a mini-break for those who've taken part in Champions League and perhaps even reached the final. And I guess then it all starts up again. It's going to be so congested congested considering that the Euros will kick off then, um, next season, in June.
1: Yeah, it does all still seem slightly optimistic. What do we think about the plans as they stand in the Premier League? Obviously, no fans in the ground, but there have been... A lot of tests done for the people connected with football clubs. Uh, We've decided games can be played at home grounds. There might be some virtual crowds available to us. Uh, Has this been done as well as it could be, or is there any room for improvement in how we're going to be handling this?
3: I think to start with, it's gone quite well, because the the testing seems to be working. There's very low numbers of any positive cases in each round of testing. And it's certainly when, when one or a few players have tested positive, there's not then been any big increase on the next round. So all the protocols at training grounds and everything else and the training protocols seem to be working well. Um, So from that point of view, it's very encouraging. Um, Once the games get... It's hard to know until the games get going in terms of how the fan noise will will feel. And look, there's two different types of fan noise. There's one for the viewers at home, who I think can probably opt to have FIFA 20 noise going on. So you've got a constant hum of crowd noise. Um, and then there's another within the stadium where I'm I'm led to believe that when a goal is scored or a substitution or basically some sort of break in play, the uh, the supposed inverted commas home team can put on some sort of noise to try and give them some sort of home. So when a home team scores, there should be some sort of cheering and I think some some pre-recorded fan noise. Not, not when an away team scores, I don't think, though.
1: The other thing that's been going on alongside all the virus chat in the past couple of weeks is the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, We know that the players are going to have Black Lives Matter instead of their names on the back of the shirts for the opening round of games. It's been really cheering, I think, to see so many footballers so active in speaking out about this. Um, Raheem Sterling especially uh, stood out with what he said about it. Um, Are we uh, reaching a point where there's going to be some definitive action this time rather than just endless campaigns that don't seem to make all that much change?
2: It's an odd one, because every time we think that this could be a watershed moment, and we always hope and pray that this is going to be the moment that everything changes and that football can be part of this, um, re-education of people, and this is not just in England, I'm talking about everywhere. And what we do have in England is players like Raheem Sterling, who aren't afraid to speak out, who who say things that help you to identify where the problems are and and to understand what it is that everyone's thinking about. Like, if you listen this week, there's been some really great interviews. Um, There's been one with Christine Cabaselli and you just, for for the BBC and, you know, various others have come out and talked about the subject in women's football and men's football and in football really everywhere it needs to be a little bit more than just continuing to wear shirts and bands and uh, non bands that say no to racism. There's got to be genuine action being taken. And I think that is, is true of, you know, there was a lot being said about what Raheem Sterling said in the sense of, you know, what about Saul Campbell? Why aren't these guys getting the jobs that in, in management? When you look at the likes of Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard, perhaps, like, some of them were saying, oh, you know, the, the men that he's chosen, like, Saul Campbell might not necessarily be the world's greatest coaches but it's true there's no there's there's got to be a reflection of of the people in in every industry and whether that be in sporting director jobs or just managements or ceos just if you look at the hierarchies of each and every club it's you know it, it's something that needs to change to reflect what's going on and, and how many people are in football whether it be um black people whether it be mine um ethnic minorities or whatever it is and and just to make everything a little bit more inclusive, because that's the whole point of the sport, is to be inclusive. It's not to keep anyone out. And I think that some of the interviews are going on, you can say this is really the moment that everything's going to change. But, I mean, and I am hopeful on this time and on this occasion, I just, I don't know how everyone else feels.
3: The players were, and a few of them put, put messages on their social media, players were willing to take some sort of risk to... Um, Support the movement because they feel it's so important, and I think that that may now reflect itself again in the future. Of if there is racist abuse, that they're they're actually willing to um, to walk off pictures and 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 take any consequences there may be. And I, I think probably there's there's now a realization there wouldn't be any consequences. I think in the past there's always been a fear they wouldn't get supported properly, um, and now I think they they are aware that the the movement is so strong that they would be supported in any kind of direct action they took
4: that's the big problem though right you've got like uefa would give you a bigger fine for um having like a, a gambling advert on your boxers than you would for a crowd giving racist abuse to someone and it, the hope would be with this movement now that it's not just a trend or a new cycle that just disappears and then in in two months time we're talking about oh football really needs to deal with racism it, it's something that it keeps coming up again and again and again with a new, a new tagline where it needs to be dealt with it's a problem in society uh, the one of the things that seems to be happening is that they use football it, as a way to try and solve all the problems and football can do a lot and you've got a lot of players who have a voice because they are famous footballers and it can help unite a lot of people but the, i mean it's, it's difficult isn't it because football shouldn't make people racist <laughs> But, and it, can it stop people from being racist? It's really difficult. It's good that the Black Lives Matter um, movement gets represented in the games and that players have a platform to be able to support it. And like Matt says, I really hope that they are then supported, if anything were to happen in the future, that they can actually take action and they are supported by the huge companies now who just, what you want is for this to be genuine and not companies to be bandwagoning it so that they don't get cancelled by others.
2: I, I think that i think it all depends on repercussions you need to make it so that the repercussions are so strong that no one walks in and does anything like that um it, you know when i it's a story that i had once upon a time but when i when you walk into a pub in london and you watch a game i've rarely at least in my experience ever experienced anything racist or towards other people around me or anything like that um but i live in london and i live in a very multi multicultural society but outside of of London and even different countries, I've seen people who've watched games and just openly be racist about the players speaking it because they have a fear of saying it in certain places but not of others. And so there needs to be that understanding of, what, of, of repercussions, of punishments, so that it's not a question of should the players walk off. It's, you know, if you, even dare to say any of this we shouldn't even be talking about players walking off it's about what are they going to be the repercussions do it detrimentally affect the side so that no one dares say anything
4: yeah people want to affect change rather than just putting up a, a black post on instagram what they could do is when they hear their pals say something which is not on they can call them out on it so it's that that's the sort of change you can affect as an actual football fan like directly i don't know anyone who would say anything like this but if i did i would want to try and change that and if people who are who are listening who are they see everyone it's it's like fashion people just join a lot of people there's a good message behind it right to be clear but a lot of people will do it because it's the popular thing to do but the important thing is that you actually take you you take action with this and uh, support it the way it's supposed to be
1: yeah let's hope this is the moment where it does finally begin to change for good Let's move on to the topic of the actual football and I've been struggling slightly to remember how we left the Premier League so I'm going to ask you each in turn to nominate the Premier League storyline you're most looking forward to having resolved this season. Let's start with you, JJ.
4: Uh, I think it'd be good for Liverpool just to win that title and not have an asterisk next to it. That's the... uh, That's the kind of clear one. Uh, That would be what I want to get resolved. Also, I really think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and I've maintained this the entire time, remember, uh, knows what he's doing. And it'd be nice to see Man United creep into Champions League spots, maybe. Maybe.
1: Yep. And vindicate JJ. What about you, Mina?
2: <laughs> yeah, I know, but it just seems so unfair because now they've just got all these great players back. And I my storyline is Chris Wilder and Sheffield United. I wanted them to make Europe. And now it's just so much harder to make Champions League when you've got Manchester United, you know, with all their big guns. And now Harry Kane is back for Spurs as well. It's just become a lot tougher for, for my boys to, to make it through. But that's my favourite storyline. I really want to see where Sheffield United end up in this league oh, Let's table. hope
3: they can get
1: it done. What about you, Matt?
3: Jose Mourinho. He's a, the best storyline <laughs> going. Um, yeah. the, everything was starting to go quite wrong for him at Tottenham. They were six games without a win. They had injuries all over the place. They'd just been thumped in Germany. Uh, they're down in eighth place. They looked when they shut down more like finishing mid-table than they did than finishing top four. And now he's got his players back, so that excuse is gone. But he also knows that Tottenham now in a, are not in a financial position for the next few transfer windows to do anything like the type of business he would have wanted to do. So his whole outlook now at, at what he's got in front of him at Tottenham has has changed. And trying to make some sort of run at the top four with his players back is absolutely imperative to them having any kind of transfer budget. Um, Whether he can handle that without melting down will be uh, fascinating.
1: (laughs) Let's return to the subject of Liverpool and a question from AFC fan Gamal Elter here, who asks, if Liverpool win the title, breaking the highest points total and the biggest margin records how would you rate them among premier league great teams knowing that the premier league title would be a fourth trophy in just 13 months
4: i think this is really interesting because i think liverpool are perhaps the most fun premier league team to like the successful ones to have watched that i remember but uh, i think like the consistency of it if they can do it again the year after or get keep this up for another year you think that'll be the you couldn't deny that they are one of the best. The, the City team last season and over the last couple has been phenomenal. United in the late 90s was, was absolutely great. Mourinho's Chelsea were something else. Uh, yeah, it's, it is really interesting, right? Because you look at them now watching Liverpool and every single club doesn't know how to deal with them other than like Atletico Madrid, basically. And I don't know who in the past would be able to beat them, but it might be that they're just riding this amazing wave of momentum and once that breaks down, they're not as good as we think. But are they? I don't know.
1: It'll be really interesting to see how they pick up because they were really wobbling before the season uh, was curtailed. I mean, this just feels like a completely new season to me and and with all of the oddness that that usually brings where at the beginning of the season you've got average teams looking quite good, putting a run together and, and good teams taking a while to get going.
4: I don't know if it's that they were wobbling. It's that I mean, Atletico beat them in the Champions League, obviously, but you had Watford beat them, West Ham almost did, and there's a little uh, change in tactics that teams have against them, where they're um, defending certain parts of the pitch to to stop the fullbacks being able to do what they're wanting to do, and they're keeping them uh, keeping them quiet. And I wonder whether it is purely tactical, or whether there's a bit of pressure feeding into Liverpool, or whether they know they've already won it and so they've lost a bit of the drive. There could be lots of different factors at play. There's probably a little bit of bit of all of them. Um, but yeah, th- that's that's one of the things. Like, if they lose that momentum, are they still going to be able to steamroll people? Because a lot of it was that, like, oh God, here they come. Like, And what, as soon as you get a chink in the armor of someone, as soon as you like knock that boxer out once, put them to the floor once, they're not as unbeatable as they were before. And they might possibly have lost a bit of that invincibility with those uh, last few results.
1: Plenty of injured players now available that weren't when we paused the season. Suns back, Pogba, Wilshire. Uh, <laughs> we, uh We've got a question from uh, Ariel Aguilar who
3: asks, which Premier League team will have benefited most
1: from the COVID-19 break?
3: I think that's impossible to say. Um, the, the easy one to point out, which Jamie Carragher did in The Telegraph the other day, was, is Tottenham and, and try and say they're the big winners just because they've got a lot of players coming back. But... That's not necessarily the case. I mean, Harry Kane has never been out for anywhere near six months. Um, And if you've seen any pictures of Harry Kane training in the last few weeks, his body shape is quite a lot different than it was at the start of the season.
0: Um,
3: He's buff. Yeah. Well, no. He's not. Well, he's a bit podgy. He's podgy, Harry Kane. (laughs)
2: Oh, is he really?
3: Go and search out some pictures of him recently. He's certainly looking a little bit podgy. So I think... Expecting miracles of of Harry Kane, for instance, is a stretch, even of how good he is. Um, Pogba coming back is really interesting. Um, And then you've got got stuff lower down. I mean, my club, John McGinn, a lot is riding on John McGinn coming back and and being the player he was at the start of the season, but he didn't play for six months. So I just think it's so difficult. The one team I actually think, and I'm I'm scared of this, because my team kick off against them on Wednesday night, The one team I really expect to come out flying is Sheffield United. I think Wilder will have had them sort of eating lead through all this. They'll have just had them, they won't have been able to step off it whatsoever. And whereas some teams, and it's difficult to predict who, I think you will see that their players may may not have done all they could have done in, in lockdown and aren't quite physically there. I just think Sheffield United will come out flying out of the blocks
2: this is sort of it's supposed to be the time where because everyone's playing every three days everyone's talking about you know teams that are aggressive and who play you know um like by always attacking the opponent and and sort of just winning the ball and, and running vertically nonstop. you know those highly um effective vertical size are going to be the ones that suffer whereas perhaps those who use the ball a lot more like a Manchester City might not but it's interesting actually because everyone if you if you think about that then you think Wolves are the worst off right because you're just going to be like how are they going to manage through this but actually they're they're a team that seem to really buy into momentum and do so well when there is momentum so perhaps playing like what is considered now like a mini tournament and just going for it and and having like realizing that every game matters and, and having that group dynamic where they're together the whole time might really help push them on. Like I think it will help Sheffield United as well. And I wonder whether it, whether that's going to be exhausting for them or whether they're going to come out of this being like, oh my God, we've just done amazingly here.
3: Wolves were going to have a really difficult period before this because they had their whole Europa League campaign going on and they were very much playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. And if they carried on in the Europa League, which it looked like they were going to, um, and will we'll probably still do at some stage, um, that was just going to get more and more more the case. Um, and now, of course, they restart without Europe restarting yet. So they no longer have that problem with the Europa League, which I think is interesting for them.
2: But they'll still have a lot of games to play in general, like in quite a packed schedule for the Premier League.
3: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But without the without the Europa League, and then that comes at some point different. I, I, it's just until you, I think, until you see all these clubs... One or two games, I just think it's impossible to make a prediction on on who's going to come out of it stronger because you can make an argument for one hand on on Tottenham, but on another hand, because their players, Son and Kane, were out for a very long time, you can easily make the counter-argument on that.
2: But wouldn't you think that Manchester United is typically the one that's benefited the most? Because imagine putting Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba back in. You've got Rashford and Martial up front. I mean, that kind of looks to me like the scariest team at the moment.
3: I agree with that. I agree with that. But then on the other hand, they were in a great, great little run of momentum, weren't they? Which has then been taken away from them. So can you get straight back on it? And you've got a tough game at Tottenham to start with. I do think the first games for everyone is going to be massive because it's such a condensed season. Like you're saying, having to play, you know, the weekend and the midweek, getting that good start, I think, is going to be crucial at both ends of the season
1: what are we expecting from the actual football on the pitch from what i've seen of the leagues that have resumed and you would expect this generally of continental football the games have been more technical more precise a little bit less high octane do we expect similar in the premier league given there won't be crowds there but it is a league that's famously high octane and slightly over the top usually is that going to be is that going to come through or is it going to be a vastly different style of premier league football now
4: i think the games will be a bit a little bit slower perhaps um, and more tactical you've got a few players in the boons like Joshua Kimmich has been talking saying how um, he notices playing on the pitch that uh, it's not the same level of pressure so you don't feel the same pressure for if you make a mistake things like that I think the level of motivation for certain teams will decide how they come out I think Liverpool just like Sheffield United Matt is saying will come out really uh, strong Liverpool will come out really strong they'll be drilled right into it and um, the teams who like to press high and, and pass a lot, teams like Arsenal, I think will benefit from it because it will be very tactical. Man City will should do very well, Leicester should do very well. I think we'll see it, what the problem we're going to have is teams who like to put the ball in the box and rely on uh, knockdowns and taking advantage of little scrambles might struggle. So like Burnley, I'm not sure how well they're going to cope with it. I'm not sure how well Crystal Palace will do. They're just defending the entire time.
2: It's funny because I think that a lot of those players will be a lot more technical because you might be a little bit freaked out to do something um, in front of people watching and it, like with such a big audience in case you get it wrong. But then you might be interested in doing a flick here or a nutmeg there and be like, yeah, well, no one's watching. It's just, you know, I'm not going to embarrass myself, that mm. kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Looking forward to watching Ben Mee try to do one of those uh, <laughs> flashy 360 degrees turns. <laughs> exactly. What about the players, uh, this is from uh, Audio Football Club fan Guy Fraser, who asks a very interesting question, which is, who are the Monday to Friday superb training ground players who might shine in the different atmosphere of these ghost games? And linked to that, will any big-time players perform below their best in the reduced atmospheres?
4: Didn't the biggest benefit of, of of these will be young players that clubs trying to break through. Uh, I would go straight to Arsenal and look at players like Rhys Nelson and... Um, I forgot the names of any others at the moment, but all those young boys that Arteta's putting through, Eddie and Ketia, because these guys are getting into the team because they're impressing in training, obviously, and it could be that they're not hitting the numbers that they want to in the Premier League because of the pressure things like that. And uh, playing it like like Kimmich again was saying how playing in these games without a crowd is a lot like being in youth football or or reserve football. So if these players are smashing it in training and at a, a lower level, then they should be able to replicate that in a, a, crowdless family game.
3: You would imagine someone like Joe Ellington. Is that how we agreed we were going to say it? Joe well, let's Ellington. Get back into Joe us. Ellington,
4: yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, Bruce was on about him, saying that he, he's uh, great in training, and just hasn't found the goals in the... In the yeah,
3: stri- strikers who, who miss chances, and, and sort of go into their shells, as, as games wear on, I think are interesting to watch in this, and whether they, they look completely different, without that pressure of the crowd. Um, I would imagine that, that they particularly... And then goalkeepers as well. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but goalkeepers again who, yeah, who, who can get influenced by the crowd and, and what's going on around them. That They could be quite interesting.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I am just a little bit excited
0: Go beyond the headlines with the Telegraph's Coronavirus podcast. One story, one leading Telegraph journalist, and 10 minutes of analysis on how the key issues affect your life. From why your children aren't back at school to the likelihood of a second wave. Search Coronavirus the latest on your podcast app.
1: Let's talk about the impact of the return of football on all of us, the wider society, the wider audio football club team. Where is your level of interest, Mina, uh, and excitement for this opening round of games in the Premier League? And crucially, where do you think it's gonna be in a couple of weeks when the novelty has worn off slightly?
2: Yeah, it's so funny. It's like um Ah oh, in the start of all of this, I football was like the last thing on my mind. I didn't have any desire to watch it or even at the time read about it, which doesn't bode well for my job um and um and you know obviously like it was just this really unusual situation and you just think that this is the last thing that matters right now and then obviously life goes on and you get bored and things sort of start to normalize and we were so excited about the bundesliga started watching it and then like four games in i'm like Oh God, this is just not as exciting as I thought that it was going to be, you know, obviously, I have to always watch all the like the big Bundesliga games in general. But it's always a different atmosphere when there's lots of people when it's sort of just behind closed doors. And especially with the Bundesliga that relies so much on and fast swift movements and like, you know, all this energy from the crowd, you have really felt the difference. I just wonder what's going to happen with the Premier League. But I am super excited. Like I was so happy when I saw Italian football again, even if it was a nil-nil, no goal scored. It was so nice to be able to like just have a discussion about something other than the pandemic, you know, and being able to be like, yeah, but come on, you don't think that was a red card. That kind of thing alone is what I'm mostly excited about.
1: It's going to be just a really pleasant thing to have as as an option uh, in the evenings and late afternoons, JJ, especially given quite a lot of it's going to be free on telly.
4: Oh, it's amazing. It's like when the World Cup happens and you've got football on on every single day. You don't have to watch it all. But like at any time, watching Arsenal Man City is going to be great or Chelsea versus Man United. Like you want to watch these games all the time. You might not be quite as excited if you don't support the teams to watch Brighton versus Palace, something like that. But uh, having them all of the time is is pretty great. Like I, I love it when there is the football on for these tournaments and it, it will feel a little bit like one of these um, international tournaments except with club teams.
1: Yeah, and far fewer pubs. Um, what about the idea that fans are going to congregate outside grounds while games are going on? Is that a real concern? Matt? it's it's never seemed that likely to me. It seemed like a slightly old-fashioned view of football fans as not having you know the greatest level of intelligence. I think most people are going to be sensible, will not they?
3: No, I've never bought that. I've never bought that argument of fans congregating outside the stadium. What I would have thought is more. Um more likely is that fans will have their mates round to their houses and they will not sit in the garden uh, with only six of them to watch it they will all go into each other's houses and watch it en masse in people's houses so i've never understood why the debate has not centered around can we bring football safely back and maintain uh, social guidelines that we have put about only meeting in outdoor spaces of six people i think that far bigger fear than thousands of people turning up outside stadiums that's not to say hundreds of people or large groups might not hit the streets to celebrate or do something at, in times of surviving a relegation or winning a title or getting in the champions league but again that's not really to do with the grounds um football fans don't necessarily live near the grounds that they support the teams of anymore you know the local community around uh, a lot of grounds don't necessarily all support that team anymore so everyone's not just going to step outside their house to do that so i think i think that the fears around um safety of fans and the spread of coronavirus uh, are to do much more with social issues of of people observing the guidelines than they are people turning up at football grounds that's my personal opinion it sounds like mina has a different personal opinion
2: No, actually, I I was like, what are you talking about fans like only because, you know, obviously, ever since any of the quarantine rules, no one's been listening to them in general, just in in society and in public. And they do all these surveys about how many rules you've broken. And most of them are like, oh, 60 percent of the population is not bothering, you know, I mean, we can't even get our own. governments at times to follow their own rules. I mean, you know, Dominic Cummings. So why would we rely on just regular people to follow every single rule? But I totally agree when you're saying that it's not really necessarily about the grounds. It's about just the social things. I mean, let's be honest. If I haven't won a league title or I'm Sheffield United and my team's just made Europe, I'm going to go crazy. Like I'm going to not just sit at my home and be like, oh, this is fun. You know, I'm going to want to do stuff. So I sort of You know, there isn't like a particular blame to be attributed, but it's been a hard year and we're going to look for any joy that we can get. But you're right. I don't think it has to do with the crown situation necessarily. I mean, we did see stuff like this, you know, with PSG and a lot of their fans congregating around their stadium. But I think it will help or you know, provoke a lot of sort of even more breaking the rules in a social sense because people will want to celebrate because there are so many occasions to celebrate in what has been a, a year of no celebration.
4: From what I've seen from live blog in um, some of the Bundesliga games, uh, looking through the photograph databases, there are very few amounts of people who go wandering near the stadium. Uh, I think there's one game I heard where you could hear someone shouting from outside the stadium, shouting like chants in. Um, and I know when Celtic were awarded the title in Scotland, which has observed the guidelines, especially Sturgeon's take on it uh, quite well, that some people turned up to Celtic Park and they were there for a little bit and then wandered, wandered back again. So, I, I mean, it's for a lot of people, I think football is a lot of what they do, what they identify with. It's To, to a lot of people, it's like their religion. And uh, I wonder whether people will find a way to to wander around to... To ground or something like that
1: i'm interested to see what happens this is a big question from afc fan jake murphy who asks does anyone envisage supporters returning in full at some point next season i do great i'm
2: I'm one of the (laughs) i'm done (laughs) only because like as in i don't know how to explain if you were if you were listening to what was going around italy i mean I mean honestly it was just everything was last minute everything was like no we're not doing this and the scenes that we saw that came out of bergamo at the time you never envisaged football coming back let alone anything else and now they're talking about possibly having sort of a 30 to 50 percent capacity by mid-july and this is a country that until recently had a 14-day quarantine for the entire team of one player tested positive so with Spain really eager to start filling stadiums again, if if I mean if you can open if you can have open air theatres and you can have cinemas reopening, then the whole question is is why wouldn't it be okay in a stadium if we're sensible about it? So for the meantime, I do think that fans will be able to come back. I don't think full capacity, no. But perhaps for next season at some point, yes, I do think so.
4: I like the idea of um having zoom screens of all players, but then I've read that the big problem is that is that they cannot guarantee that at some point someone won't flash something during the uh, stream, <laughs> and that is the big reason why they can't do it.
1: <laughs> that, that's a valid concern at football in general, though, isn't it? Can, well, that's you know, true, yeah. You, you, there Especially could be the a at scorer, any yeah. time. <laughs>
4: yeah,
1: exactly. Um, uh, a question for you, Matt, from uh, Ahmed Patel, who asks, uh, are the expert panel allowed into the ground as written journalists? And if you are, what are the protocols that you'll have to follow?
3: So there's 25 um, written press allowed in, in each Premier League game. Um, and the protocol seems to be, we're not being tested. We will be, have our temperatures taken on arrival, I'm told. And and then obviously when we, we sit inside the, the, the press boxes, we will be all two metres, if not more, apart. Um, there will be no manager sort of press conference as such i don't think afterwards I'm, I'm told it's likely to be done um through a screen rather than the manager coming into a press conference room anymore we will not be allowed into the tunnel area where there's usually the mix zone areas i think post-match interviews with players um will be done maybe the next morning again through through computers and, and zoom and, and other platforms um, so so, the, I mean, the stadiums are split into these, these red, amber and, and green zones and the press can only really go in the green and amber zones. The green zone is only really the outside of the stadium in any case um, and the amber zone is certainly nowhere near anywhere where the players or managers go. So it's going to be a lot more restricted, um, albeit we can actually go in and, and sit and watch a game. I would say I'm going to the London Stadium to watch West Ham on Saturday and given the distance you are from everything at West Ham, I don't think it's going to be any different.
1: <laughs> Let's talk a bit about the Champions League. Someone needs to explain what's going on to the Champions, with the Champions League to me. It's, it's all going to be held in Portugal. Is that, is that what we're hearing at the moment?
3: I hope so. That would be amazing. That would be great. <laughs> Lisbon, mini-tournament in Lisbon. Bring it on. That would be wonderful. Let's hope that happens. But that, that's what they're talking about at the end of the season. They have a mini-tournament, whether it be Lisbon. The Europa League's been talking about Lisbon and Frankfurt. Um, and, and trying to find a place where they can pretty much wrap it up. The bit I don't understand, and Mina might know, because she knows European football 100 million times better than I do, is do we know what happens about the second legs of the last 16 games that haven't finished? Because everything I read about the mini-tournament seems to be quarterfinals onwards. Um, and one leg
1: games for all of them, right?
3: Yeah, and from a selfish point, um, I do know what's happening with, with Chelsea Bayern Munich, with Chelsea 3-0 down still waiting to play a second leg. I don't suppose Mina knows.
2: Yeah, they're going to have a meeting about this, but um, I don't know. There was conversations, obviously, with Barcelona um, and whether or not they'll lose their Camp no, obviously, advantage when they play in the second leg. Um, Juve are due to play at home as well against Lyon. So it remains to be seen, from what I understand, whether or not the second leg will be at home. It's likely to be now in a neutral venue. Um. And then obviously then going into this mini tournament of having all these um, one-off games. Istanbul, from my understanding, cannot make up the money because there are no traveling fans. So for their investment, it no longer makes sense for them to host this. And Portugal is considered the best place to go because they've managed to really handle COVID very well um, in terms of what's going on around in in European countries around. And because they don't have a team representing them, for example, in the Champions League, they feel like they don't have an advantage. Whereas if it's Frankfurt, then a lot of the German sides will benefit from that. So it's more of a neutral venue if it is in Portugal and if it is Lisbon indeed, because there isn't any representative from Portugal. But, that whole question mark about the second leg is an interesting one because it's it's kind of highly unfair if you've managed to get through you know winning in your own sort of space and not having the other team get that luxury
1: we'll get to that i'm sure in forthcoming episodes of audio football club let's stay in europe now and enjoy some music and welcome back a song for europe Mina, football's back everywhere. I think, though, you share my slight lack of enthusiasm after some early excitement for the Bundesliga. Um, What is the most exciting thing we can be following from the leagues that are back on around the continent?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I think there are some really good storylines, especially whether or not Atletico Madrid is going to make top four, whether or not Real Madrid can actually win the season, because Zinedine Zidane said from the start that he doesn't care about Europe, he doesn't care about anything. This is all about the league because of how much stick that they've taken about the fact that all they do is win in Europe but can't manage to win the marathon that is La Liga. Um, And it's all up to Barcelona. I think it's also going to be interesting to see Like, you know, Martin Braithwaite, Luis Suarez now, you know, and and they've obviously gone out and bought this other striker and and how this is all going to come together. Um, Italy, there is actually a genuine competition at the top, which is something that I cannot say for the Bundesliga. Um, I know that Juventus were hideously boring the other day, but... Well, let's just hope they'll be a lot better. You, you've got Lazio coming back in it, who's going to manage this? Will Antonio Conte manage to pull off a tournament style the way that he's done in the Euros and just get his boys to be so um, interested and desperate to win every single game in this tournament and really push Lazio and Juventus till the very end? So I think those are the storylines and as for the Bundesliga, it's kind of done and dusted, right? So, and France decided to cancel.
1: Yeah, why did France uh, go down that uh, avenue? Or rue, as they say in France. Uh, they seem to be the only major league that have decided just to abandon it.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Holland, well, yeah, as a major league, yeah, they are. But it it was like they just wanted to act very quickly so that everyone knew where they were. And actually, what's really interesting about this is how many leagues were applauding them at the time. Because they were like, oh, well, at least they've reached a decision. So everyone knows what's going to happen next year. Everyone can prepare properly for next year. Whereas, you know, it was all up in the air for so, you know, for so many Spaniards and for so many Italian clubs who were like, what's going on? Are we coming back? Are we not? And France just thought, this is, you know, this is a pandemic, there's not going to be any sport until August, and then try to convince all the other countries in Europe to do exactly the same thing that they've done. They're like, okay, we've decided to take this decision, now you can all take this decision too, let's be in this all together. And obviously no one else joined them. (laughs) Um, Germany has handled the pandemic really well, just found a way of being, you know, playing football, but still maintaining social distancing as much as possible and training and how it can come back safely and hygienically. Um, And then obviously looking at that German example, and when you consider... Like for example, for Italy, football pays for all other sport in Italy. I mean, it is the third largest industry. I mean, they are so economically dependent on the sport that they really cannot live without it from that point of view. So many players, um, so many people who work in clubs and who work in football in general, who would have lost their jobs. And so it was like, we have to find a way of getting this back on because the, the losses will just be huge and a detriment to our society. But France decided to take that on.
1: Well, fair enough. Uh, back in Italy, the Coppa Italia was uh, the first tournament to get restarted there. Uh, what's the reaction been like in Italy? It was, it was an exciting... Well, there was certainly an exciting uh, th- three or four minutes in that game.
2: That's about it. <laughs> um, <then laughs> the next game... I mean, it was really exciting for about 10 seconds because Ronaldo missed a Pammel And then Milan got a red card like... Literally, like the kick afterwards, um, which was just like mind-boggling at that point, um, but eight million people tuned in to watch this game, and the whole the whole point was we started off with um, Coppa Italia because it's free for to view, it's on Rai, so everyone can see it, and it was supposed to be this like you know huge, um, thing, and it's not enough people that I think probably tuned in. Um, it's more exciting to watch, like I said, the FA Cup doesn't really matter in Italy, right? What really matters is what's going to be the race and that's when it's going to get interesting because next weekend, everyone's already talking about it, whether or not Inter can actually push anyone. Um, As for the Coppa, honestly, the only interesting game was between Inter and Napoli just for the level of play, but you can see that these players haven't played in a while. You can see the rusty effect of it and that's what I'm worried about when it comes to watching Serie A and, and the Premier League in general, whether or not you're going to just be like, oh, this is this is like watching preseason and the ICC tournament, you know? Great Yay, news for you, it. Mina. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got it, yeah. I knew
2: I could bring it in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Finally, uh, tell us about Barcelona, Mina. They seem like they're doing some creative accounting because they furloughed staff, but they still want to sign a player for €111 million. Euros.
2: And uh, that's Barcelona for you. <laughs> they're never going to be it. This is the thing. They just can't afford him. They keep talking. Everyone keeps talking about Lautaro Martinez. But they themselves know that they can't afford him. Unless they manage to sell off Coutinho, Ousmane Dembele, um, Artur, like they're trying to. And, and get rid of all these players like Racketage, the huge salaries that they have then they genuinely do not have the money to invest in Lautaro Martinez. They've got a lot of assets that have depreciated, like Coutinho and Usman Dembele, players that they have paid so much money for and cannot find a way out for them now. And so Lautaro Martinez, it's a a release clause. So it's got to be cash. It's going to be 110 million euros. And it's got to be by the 7th of July. It seems to me that it's highly unlikely they're going to find the money or enough players to appease Inter to be like, let go of this clause, we'll just offer you all these players instead because Inter doesn't want any of them anyway. So And hardly any of them want to leave. And you've seen that because they're trying to do a swap deal with Juventus as well with Pjanic and Artur and Artur doesn't want to leave Barcelona. Why would you leave a place that's paying you so much money? So they're going to have huge problems. And their first really point of call is they need to lower wages so that I don't know. I mean, at least they can start moving the squad a little bit more because they can't keep investing like this.
1: Yes, I wonder how much they'll be affected by the thrilling recession we're all about to encounter. Let's finish off by asking this question, which is, what is something you'd completely forgotten about in football, only to be reminded of it as the coverage has picked up in the last week?
4: JJ? Uh, I had forgotten that Leicester were third and Mm. also... I just keep forgetting all of the time that Mauricio Sarri is the UV manager and that Ronaldo is there. It doesn't. It doesn't feel right. It feels like right. it's a championship manager save that you've <laughs> forgotten. It's not real life. I'm confusing the two. That's mine. What about you, Matt?
3: Uh, mine was um, Deli Alley and his FA charge um, for mocking the coronavirus oh, uh, yeah. way before all this became such a big thing, and then obviously he got. He got banned last week and I was like, what? Why has he got banned? Couldn't, it took me just you know, split second to to remember that he actually had this charge over him. And then the other one moving forward is I always forget that Man United got Bruno Fernandes. People yes. mention him and I'm like, oh yeah, they've got him, that's good. Um, but he never sort of comes into my thinking from the start and I really need to address that as the season is about to start.
2: That's really funny because mine is that I keep I've completely forgot about Harry and Maguire existing. And then there was this meme on Instagram and I'm like, oh, that guy's so familiar. Where do I know him from? Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, Harry Maguire. And he's in Manchester United. I don't know why I'd completely forgotten about this guy entirely. And the fact that he's now moved to Manchester United. Um, But I forgot a lot more. Like I couldn't even remember some names off the top of my head, you know. So I had to like start Googling again. Anyway.
1: Yeah, it's a concerning time. I think mine's most embarrassing. I had completely forgotten that Ancelotti was Everton manager. That seems that seems I strange, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it? It seems a strange place for him. It seems it seems like again we're in the realms of football manager. Anyway, uh, I'm that sure is a we'll very manager fully...
4: style uh, uh, appointment, isn't it? You just don't expect
1: yeah. it. I'm sure we'll be fully back up to speed very very soon. That's a lot for this week. I wanted to mention something before we leave you. That is a webinar taking place at midday on Tuesday, British summertime. Uh, There will be full details in the show notes of how you can get involved. But you can watch Jamie Carragher, Sam Wallace and Jason Burt have a thorough chat about the return of Premier League football. Sign up for it and get your questions in at www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash sport. As I say, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to get involved. You can also contact me on Twitter, if you like, at Tom with an H, Gibbs. The email address for the podcast is at telegraph.co.uk. Loved all the questions for this episode. We'll read out any more of what you send us next week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quins.